You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast with me, Simon London. Just imagine for a moment that you're running a network of hospitals, or factories, or R&D labs, or call centres. To boost productivity and quality, you know that you've got to introduce new ways of working, probably alongside new technology and new processes. And you know that new skills will be required, not only on the front line, but also among that all-important middle layer of site managers, line leaders, and supervisors. Well, congratulations, because you're facing an implementation challenge. The bad news is that implementation of this kind at scale is very hard. The good news is that we know more than ever about what it takes to build capabilities and make change stick. To find out more, I flew to Denver, Colorado to speak with two McKinsey implementation experts. Nick Wall and Blake Lindsay spend a lot of time with senior executives. They've done research on this topic. But they also spent a lot of time out in the field, coaching, training, and doing the heavy lifting. So I hope you enjoy this conversation about the theory, the practice, the art, and the science of implementation. Nick and Blake, thanks very much for doing this today. I thought we should start with a real sort of beginner's question. When we talk about implementation, what are we talking about? How does it relate to concepts like change, execution, transformation? Execution is around the day-to-day business. You know, the COO is steering the ship and he's got current speed and course, whereas implementation in our world is often course correcting a little bit or changing that or speeding up. You know, we're usually involved when there's a change imperative of some kind. So how does this differ from change management? Change management is obviously a core part of what we think of as implementation. But when you're talking about actually uh, ensuring that a business or an organization is going to continue to do things differently moving forward, we're effectively driving new processes, new capabilities within the organization. And so implementation goes beyond just the change management. The concept is I have now taken a group of people or an organization fundamentally change the way that they think about doing their work or whatever processes that that are now put into place and building their skills and capabilities along the way. We define it as the ability to achieve a desired result and sustain that result and continue to improve upon it. Change management aspects, I believe, are really around the mindsets and the behaviors that come along with this. I mean, you start asking someone who's done the same thing for 35 years to do their job differently, there's a huge amount of change management or culture associated with that mindset change. So it's the implementation of new processes, implementation of new ways of working, new technologies. It could be something programmatic like Lean, or it could be something that's very specific to a, to a company. That's right. But it's actually the doing on the ground and making sure that it you know, really happens and sustains over time. We've rolled Lean out in factories and hospitals and the back office of an insurance company. And you can imagine the deployment model for McKinsey looks very different. It's not a bunch of folks sitting in a room at headquarters. It's, it's folks like Blake and myself that are implementers that are out in the field coaching, building capabilities. And then the profile of our, of our implementation practitioners, therefore, requires a certain amount of been there, done that. And it's, it's, it's a credibility, it establishes credibility when we walk into the situation. But it's also the pattern recognition of being able to say, 
you know, I'm asking someone to do something differently than they've ever done it before. Let's talk a little bit about the, the research that you guys have done. Because in addition to actually doing this on the ground, we've, right. we've actually been out and done two quite big surveys, right? 2014, 2017, about what works around implementation and transformation. So just talk a little bit about the research and what we've learned. We surveyed 1,400 CXOs across the globe uh, and really probed on what it was they were working on as far as implementation was concerned, and then assessed the success, their, their subjective success, against the dimensions that we felt were the ones that truly drive implementation success. And, you know, part of what we were trying to do is figure out what are the markers for success across this, which I think that we've, we've been able to do. We've sort of distilled it into 30 practices, which turns into seven core capabilities. And I think one of the big things that we were trying to do was find this silver bullet, right? What's the two or three things that I've got to go and do mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm going to be a successful implementer? And what was really fascinating as we came out across this is that across these 30 practices, pretty much every single one of them is relatively of the same importance and weight. All in all, it's you can basically look at it and say, okay, all of these things are important. And when you, when you look at it, the research shows that it's really more about the level of effort uh, that an organization puts into uh, getting an implementation correct, whether or not they're going to be able to achieve and sustain their results. Of those 30 practices, as you start to get to, and it doesn't matter which practices you're doing, but as you start to get to like the 20 to 25, I can say I've done 20 or 25 of these things and I'm doing it and focusing on it. That's where you actually start to achieve success. It's interesting for me, if I look at your list of seven sort of key capabilities or success factors here, some of them sound like motherhood and apple pie. I'll read them out because it, it, for the audience. So continuous improvement, you know, focus on continuous improvement, not a one-off effort. Strong ownership and commitment by leadership. Focusing on the right priorities, really understanding what you're, you're going for. Clear accountability, KPIs skill building, capability building in the organization, getting a really effective program management structure, and then really thinking about sustainability from the start. Not environmental sustainability, but can we sustain the, the change? So seven things there. They all sound somewhat generic. So how do you respond to that? It's interesting that you say that because I think you could walk into any executive's office and have a conversation around an implementation program and say, these are the seven things that will make you successful. And she or he is going to be like, okay, thank you for <laughs> wasting this five minutes of my life. But that begs the question is why do two-thirds of change programs still fail to achieve their results or uh, sustain their results? And I think that that was really the science that we were trying to get to. And so what's interesting about that, right, you talked about um, showing true ownership and commitment. Yes, but can that executive actually tell you what that really looks like and how to make sure that's actually happening within their organization? And the way that we've broken it out shows you exactly what that what good looks like. And can you specifically say, I am doing this thing, other than just saying, yeah, sure, we, we own this and we're committed to it. The value in those seven is in the nuance that lies underneath them. Uh, and in particular, you know, I, I often think of the, you know, don't tell me, don't tell me you're funny. Tell me a joke, kind of thing. And for me, with the ownership and commitment point that you raised, Blake, it's it's not about telling people that you're behind the effort and this is really important. And you know, mentioning on earnings calls and in town halls, it's about what's the behavior that you're role modeling to the rest of the organization. You know, you're 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 letting your actions do the talking. That's the thing that's very hard to assess uh, when you go into an organization. And as to Blake's point, you could stand in an office of a of a CXO and they would tell you that they're very committed to the change and it's a strong level of ownership and commitment and then you could observe them for a week and realize that 
what they're actually doing is very different than that. The analogy is interesting, the motherhood and apple pie, right? I mean, apple pie is fantastic, but do you know how to make an apple pie from scratch? And I think that that's part of the challenge and the, the fundamental core elements of it that we're trying to suss out. And so being able to say, what are the skills and the role modeling and the capabilities that need to be displayed in order to be successful? How well is the organization established to do the things that we're talking about, this nuance? And how well is the organization ready or set up to receive uh, that level of change? Yes, if you're talking about uh, a lean transformation or a digital transformation, implied by that is, is quite a lot of uh, skill and capability building on the ground at, at the front line. Where do companies typically go wrong? Why, why do they not really nail that one? For me, it's the, the balance between the hard skill associated with a new process or with a new tool and the softer skill that's associated with just being comfortable in change and leading others through change. Uh, the example that comes to mind for me is, you know, I, you, you talk about a lean transformation. I mean, I can teach someone how to do a, a pre-shift huddle and what good looks like, and we can talk about all of the nuance of celebrations and balancing that with the KPIs you want to track. But the magic that really comes to life is the softer skills associated with what happens after that huddle, right? How do you, how do you lead the team outside of just the huddle itself, but how do you use that as part of a broader leadership development journey? And this would be the area, you know, I, I often see organizations that are highly invested in the success of their top leaders and the, the leadership development of their top leaders and that capability building. And I think what we've, what we've really tried to do is take what works really well at that level and drive it down to frontline leadership. That's where the impact and the magic yeah. is really, really, really comes to life. I would also say though, you know, I think a typical failure mode is, and Nick had alluded to this uh, earlier in the discussion, of the people that I choose to actually play these roles in the transformation, it should hurt when I pull them from my organization. It shouldn't just be, uh, you know, hey, Blake has doesn't have much going on, so we'll just toss him into into the ring here, and uh, and that happens often. And so, you know, that was one thing that we always try to combat or get in front of when we're dealing with clients, is making sure that we're getting the right people to actually run these programs. And I think that now it's becoming increasingly difficult, and it's what we saw in the research. We used to talk about what was the uh, the best athlete for you know a specific role, and that's still the conversation. But I think we're we're having to redefine what. It, a good athlete looks like, right? Or, you know, we're changing the sport because now you're talking about working with agile coaches and, you know, digital management groups and new processes and programs within and capabilities within an organization that uh, what our research showed, it's very difficult for executives to know what are the right skills and where to go and get them to do these programs. Another one, number three on the list that I read out, focusing on the right priorities. Mm -hmm. I mean, said like that, again, it just sounds like, well, of course. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, where, where do companies go wrong in practice? In traditional implementation or change programs, so go back 20 years ago and everyone was doing lean, right? That was sort of the primary focus of these change programs. The prioritization was really more focused around the key value drivers and understanding which sites should I do it and how should I do it and when should I do it and thinking about the prioritization that way. But there's always a lot of clarity around where is the money going to come from or where is the change that we actually desire from a cultural perspective that we want to go and do. And they were able to get their heads around that and say, okay, we're going to go and focus on this. I think today the challenges with digital programs coming online or digital solutions being implemented, I've got 20 different things that I can go and do, all kinds of new solutions that, that would, I know would benefit my business, but 
to Nick's point, how much is it going to benefit my business, right? How much value is this actually worth? And so is this the thing that I should focus on today or is this something I should do next year? And is it even the right solution given that all of this stuff is changing so rapidly, right? So if I implement something today, a year from now I'm gonna have something bigger, better, uh, and, and more proven that I could implement again, right? And so the cost benefit of that is, is really challenging. So the prioritization element of this, I think is actually becoming rather complicated. When you ask specifically where do, where do companies go wrong, for me what comes to mind is just this value-based lens, right? I mean, oftentimes we see companies embark on some sort of transformation because it's fixing something that feels wrong today, or it's you know, something as, as specific as I'm gonna replace this part of my production line with a robot. And what that doesn't do is take a, a truly process-based value lens to the change that's happening. And you may in fact put a robot in and have a, a great amount of efficiency at that point. But what is the influence upstream, downstream? What is the impact on the leader who, you know, was used to managing five people in that process that now has to think about interacting in a very different way with the people that work in that area? And so I think what we often see is that there's largely a prioritization matrix or prioritization criteria of some kind, but it's often not taking a systemic value-based view of, of what the change might influence. So is that a question of spending more time on the prioritization and really understanding you know, the, the, full, the full value before you begin? Or is it more of a question of being prepared to be agile and switch and change as you learn? Because as you say, if you come to digital or advanced analytics or automation, these things are changing pretty fast. Yeah, I think it's absolutely both. I mean, for me, there's an element of how do I define value in an environment where we've never really sized value before, right? You talk about a digital solution. If you've never done it before and you can't go outside and find a benchmark that allows you to size that, that gets really challenging. Likewise, if you know, in an, in an agile environment, you want to try a lot of things and you want to fail fast and you want to, you know, you want to cut things off and that, that's a, that's a really different environment for prioritization than what we've seen in the past where everybody signs off, there's a regimented stage gating process. I was having a conversation with a client just a couple of weeks ago and around that specific thing, right? Like, how do I know that now is the right time to be doing this? Um, how do I know that these are the right tools or capabilities to be bringing into the organization at this moment? And the conversation that we have is kind of to Nick's point, it's, it's kind of both. So first, you've, you've got to be very clear about where you're trying to go. Like, what is the actual end state? And what is the timeline that you're trying to get to that end state? And then you also have to be willing as a, as a leader to, to iterate on your path from point A to point B. And I think that iteration point uh, is kind of the new with this agile culture and the advent of digital uh, solutions coming online and the concept of being able to fail fast. That is where I see the most discomfort in a lot of my clients. They can say, look, I, I can set a point that I'm going to, and I can give a deadline, but it makes me very uncomfortable that there's not a straight line to, to march there sometimes. Something else I read in the research is that if you look at digital transformations, they tend to be more multi-business unit, more multifunctional, and again, there you're raising the level, the degree of difficulty. Part of the implementation process as you go through, you plan, then you pilot, you make sure you have the right result, and then comes typically the hard part, which is scaling it up. Like that's that's always a challenging thing. And I think in a lot of traditional, anecdotally, in traditional implementation programs, what you would see is, you know, the most important thing was the ability to lean on the leaders to understand and drive the change that you're that you're trying to make, right? The individual leaders of those sites or those cells. I think a lot of times with digital what we're seeing is What's really most important in that scale up is that 
whatever product or solution that you're putting into place is actually user-friendly. People can get their hands around it and, and understand it. And two, that we effectively train everybody on how to use this and not just how to use the solution, but why it's going to make my business better. And that's been, I think, challenging, right? So instead of saying, hey, Nick, you run this site, go implement this solution and teach all of your people how to do it, you've got to do it more holistically. And we're typically on a digital solution scaling from one little pilot area to 100% of the enterprise versus start with two, then go to four, then go to eight. When you talk about the capability building challenges, it sounds to me almost like there's a middle management challenge here. The a lot of companies. Yeah, a lot of companies are quite good at leadership development at the top level. They even get their head around like rolling out new processes and stuff at like a shop floor. But there's this, this layer of, of people who need to sort of manage teams, run lines, run sites, and actually you know, teaching them to be change leaders and implementers in their own right is, is maybe part of the missing link. I think that's right. A, a client example that I think brings that to life for me is large industrial environment. You know, you had a very represented unionized workforce. They, there was not a lot of incentive for someone to move off of the line into a supervisory role. So a lot of the supervisors of that line force were engineers that came right out of college or right out of a, of a, a degree program. And they would come in knowing the science and knowing the tools and knowing the, the engineering behind what they were being asked to do. And then they would be thrust into the situation where they were asked to lead 30 people on a line that were you know, much older, much more experienced, gristled veterans versus these young folks that are coming in. And so one of the, one of the things that we learned early on is that supervisor is an incredible point of leverage. And they were so uncomfortable going out and trying to lead and inspire that workforce they spent a lot of time in the office, and they would tell us how much paperwork they had, and they would, you know, they were almost hiding because what they weren't, when they weren't prepared to do, was go out and, and be that leader. And I think your point is very valid, as we often are very good at the leadership capability building, you know, in the C-suite and you know, in the N minus one, N minus two level, and we're all on the on the very other end of the spectrum. We're often very good at the hard skill operator qualification level. And it's that hybrid in between. You know, you've got to be able to inspire that middle management. And I think so many of our programs focus exactly on that layer, exactly on trying to unfreeze the frozen middle and give them the leadership tools that are necessary to really advance the organization throughout this implementation piece. So pure conjecture on my part, but you know, organizations are a lot flatter. There are just fewer layers of, of mid and mid senior management. And I'm just wondering whether one of the things that's changed, you know, is implementation harder than it might have been 20, 30, 40 years ago? Because actually there are fewer middle managers and fewer experienced middle managers. So as you say, you might have this young engineer, you know, young graduate on the line running this line. But like, who's there to coach and help yeah. this person? Yep. I, th I, I think that's right. I also think that it's the element of who, who are the leaders of today and what, what did they do to get there? And oftentimes it's, the you know the the person that was really good at the at the engineering part of their job and you know they were in a sales organization for example the really good salesperson often is the one that gets promoted to become the leader of the sales organization and i think what we've we've realized is that in that in that example that commercial example that you know not always the great sales person is the great leader of other sales people 
and that what they did to be very successful in their role is very different than the leadership challenge of motivating a lot of people. So I think it's an element of, yes, maybe there are less because of the organization structures have changed over time, but I also think that how, how the markers of success need to look different as you move through an organization, and it's less about the technical aspects of the job and more about the, the softer leadership components of the job. Can we talk a little bit about the sustainability of, of, uh, of change? You mentioned right at the start, almost the definition of implementation is the ability to achieve and sustain the desired mm -hmm. results. Well, what's the trick in, in the sustaining part of it? Well, I wish we, we both knew what the trick was. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say that for me, the, the lever that I, I see pulled most often in the companies that have sustained is the mindset and behavioral change. Yes, there are ways to drive performance quickly, and there's ways to see that in, in the numbers, but the health of an organization or the mindset of individuals, that's really what locks in uh, the change over time. And we talk a lot about um, you know, how do you do that from the start? How do you think about mindset change and think about sustainment from the beginning of an implementation? That to me is so important is to think about well, the impact it's going to have on individuals. We've talked a lot about the impact it's going to have on leaders and the leadership challenge associated with that. But for me, that's, that's the lever we pull is well, how do you not just change the behavior, but how do you change what's, un what's behind that behavior and get people to truly buy in and do things differently. What we actually saw from the research that was the most statistically significant thing that you could do in that sort of sustainment phase was a developing key performance indicators, right? New key performance indicators that are saying, what is it that I'm actually measuring that I care about, which should be new and different from what I used to care about before because I'm changing, I'm yep. changing the way that I'm running my business and integrating that into normal day-to-day -day business operations, right? It's no longer oh, now let's, okay, let's do our normal business review, and then now and I'm going to... Now, now let's gonna, look at the digital dashboard. Yeah, exactly, right? Oh, this other thing that we've been doing. No, it is 100% integrating those things, and that this becomes our way of working, and this is what we care about. When you look at the, the kind of uh, implementation that's going on out there in, in the business world, is the flavor of it changing? Are we still seeing a lot of lean transformation, for example, or is that something that's beginning to be played out? Is digital transformation just the sort of the next wave, or is there more to it than that? I think that the lean concepts are integrating themselves into just improve business performance. And I think the big thing that is the difference that I've seen over, you know, the transformations that I used to see from from broader lean groups to to now is just this holistic focus on uh, organizational health and culture. And what are what does it mean to be a top tier? Uh, organization within my industry. Um, and so it's, it is always going and trying to identify new ways to create value or remove cost or whatever, deliver impact to the bottom line. But at the same time, with equal and oftentimes heavier balance on our organizational health as a whole and the culture and the sort of the identity of the organization that we want to have and really figuring out how to all stack hands on what that should look like and how to go and do it. For me, I think there, all will, there always will be a fad. There will always be something that is getting attention and there'll be a lot of writing about. And certainly 20, 30 years ago, that might have been lean and today that might be digital. Um, I think that for me though, the, the one constant is that we're in a period of continuous change. And it's, there, there, nothing is stable. You know, nothing is, is the current speed and course anymore. 
We have one executive that Blake and I have worked with that uh, in particular struggles with the ownership and commitment point because it's hard for her to articulate what the future is going to look like. Okay, well, let's, let's leave it there. Blake and Nick, thank, thank you, you thank very you. Thank much you, for your time. I appreciate it very much. Thanks also to you, our listeners. To learn more about McKinsey's work and research and implementation, please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.